Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. everybody, David Nagel. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Mind Podcast. Now, over the, over the last few years, we've tapped in several times and we've talked about desire as being the guiding force uh, for the human being to follow their life. And we've explained the various different examples of, of why desire is different than uh, want or wish. Uh, we've also talked about how desire gets a bad rap throughout history. Uh, and it's very much misunderstood. So today, the 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 topic is 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 desire and destiny are basically one and the same. And I'm going to bring to you a couple of really great teachings. One is from Thomas Troward uh, from his book, The Hidden Power, and another one, uh, a little bit of teaching from U.S. Anderson. Uh, the three magic words, three magic words. That was the, the name of the book. So I want to get into this and, and kind of go through this with you a little bit. It really gives us something to think about because, I mean, we're, we are in a time in our world right now where so many people are really lost. They just don't know what to follow. They don't know what to think. And when you tell somebody, listen, the answer is inside of you, uh, that might sound kind of neat. It might sound kind of cool, but how does a person find it and identify what it is? And the first way that we do that is to understand that the deepest desires of our heart are the things that are actually guiding us through our life. So let's see how these two great authors kind of broke this down and, and see if we can uh, suck out some of the marrow of their wisdom here. Troward says, our want of knowledge may cause us to make mistakes as to what this better thing really is, and so in seeking to carry out our desire, we may give it wrong direction. But the fault is not in the desire itself, but in our mistaken notion of what it is that requires it for its satisfaction. So I want you to think about this. The desire is never wrong. Uh, it's our interpretation of the desire that's wrong, or, or the difference between understanding our desire and our ego. The ego is always to end up fulfilling something that is not holistic for the self, meaning that we kind of feel like we're missing something and, and the ego is saying, hey, you need to get this. You need to get a new car, a new house, a new spouse. Uh, um, you, need to, you need to take a trip. You, you need to do something to fulfill a uh, question uh, that you're not getting the correct answer to. As desire goes... It is actually bringing about the fulfillment and the completion of our purpose. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that the deepest fulfillment of our heart is felt when we're expressing ourselves in the way that we were put here to express ourselves, when we're doing the thing that we were put here to do, when we're being our gift, when we're living our gift, when we're on the right road for the purpose of our life. And all life Every single piece of life has an instinctual or a spiritual or an energetic compass that takes it in that direction, including human beings. The difference is, is that human beings have choice, and because our choice is so programmed for so many years by other people and different agendas, it becomes very difficult for us to tap into what that direction is for ourselves. But you can know and you can learn that that direction is the desire of your heart. He goes on to say, 
Hence, unrest and dissatisfaction until its true affinity is found. But as soon as it's discovered, the law of attraction at once asserts itself and produces the better condition, the dream of which first gave direction to our thought. Thus, it's eternally true that desire is the cause of all feeling and all action. In other words, all of life. The whole livingness of life consists in receiving or radiating forth the vibrations produced by the law of attraction. And in the kingdom of the mind, these vibrations necessarily become conscious outreachings of the mind in the direction in which it feels the attraction. That is to say, they become desires. Desire is therefore, now I want you to really think about this, desire is therefore the mind seeking to manifest itself in some form which is yet exists only in its thought. Now, there's two things that we know, know about this that's important. Number one, let's talk about the thought part. Let me read this again so that we're, we really get it. Desire is therefore the mind seeking to manifest itself in some form which as yet exists only in thought. So let's start with thought. We have two thoughts. We have the thought that's going on in our conscious mind. That is our thought. That is how we're thinking. That's how we reason. That's how we rationalize. That is how we choose. We give direction to that thought. There's another thought, though, and that thought is the universal thought. That is the, the universal intelligence thought that is going on throughout all time and space, and it has a motive, and the motive of that thought is to move life forward, to move things forward, period. When we harmonize with these two thoughts, we, we align our thought based on our desire with the thought of the universe, we literally create that attraction. It's almost like we become bonded to the thing that we really want in our life. Now, he also mentions something else in here. He talks about mind. There's two minds. Not really. Um, let, me, let me just explain this a little bit. There's not really two minds. There's one mind. There's one great universal mind, which we are all part of. But in helping us understand how this works, let's look at it as there's two minds, just for a moment. There's our mind, in which we think, the mind that holds and creates the thoughts that we have in our life. And then we have the universal mind. And again, the same thing with the universal mind. The universal mind is this, this great idea of intelligence that knows exactly what needs to happen to spring forth and move life forward based on its thoughts. So its thoughts are ever constantly moving forward. When we tap into our desire, when we acknowledge it, when we focus on it, when we begin to follow it and, and begin to understand it, we become aware of what that desire is. We become uh, kind of like in intellectually in harmony with both of those minds. So we, in other words, we don't see them as being separate anymore. We understand that they're one and the same. My mind is your mind, your mind is my mind, and our mind is forever sketched into the, by the architect of the universe uh, throughout all time and space. He goes on here, and he says, Thus it's eternally true that desire is the cause of all feeling and all action. In other words, of all life. The whole livingness of life consists in receiving or radiating forth the vibrations produced by the law of attraction. And in the kingdom of the mind, these vibrations necessarily become conscious outreachings 
of the mind in the direction in which it feels the attraction. So that desire is then again telling us, what do we feel attracted to? What do we feel drawn to? We have to be careful not to then judge what that thing is. Like you might say, well, I'm drawn to a materialistic thing. Does that mean I'm materialistic? No, not really, because what's, that, what's happening is when we're following the, the desire is it's taking us from where we are to where we need to be to be in our purpose. So it can only go in the direction that has been then set forth prior to the decisions and the cause and effect that we've experienced in, in our life prior to us becoming aware of the desire. It says, in this principle of creation, whether the thing created be a world or a wooden spoon, both have their origin in the desire to bring something into existence which does not yet exist. Whatever may be on the scale of our exercise, of our, of our creative ability, the motive power must always be desire. Now, what's important to know about that is that that requires a little self-introspection. Are we, what is the motive power for the things that we're doing? What is the motive power for the things that we don't do? What is the motive power behind the thoughts and the reactions that we're having on a regular basis? Many people are looking for their purpose. They want, they want to be in their purpose and they'll say, I need to, I want to have a vision. How do I get my vision? How do I find my purpose? If the motive power behind it is not willing to do the thing to bring about the vision, then we don't get a complete picture of the vision because a part of us is not uh, uh, basically letting go, stepping into the idea of that we have this life that is set before us that is absolutely amazing, but we, we need to do is let go of the other motive power of the world, which can be very confusing because most of it is fear-based. It's based in survival. So we have to ask ourselves, well, the decisions that I'm making, are they based in desire or are they based in survival? Are they based in desire or are they based in fear? So that we're always moving toward what we want and we're not giving any energy to the thing that we don't want. He says, whatever may be the scale on which we exercise our creative ability, the motive power must always be desire. So we have to check that. Next, desire is the force behind all things. It's the moving principle of the universe and the innermost center of all life. Hence, to take the negation of desire for our primal principle is to endeavor to stamp out life itself. But what we have to do is to acquire the requisite knowledge by which to guide our desires to their true objects of satisfaction. To do this, um, the whole end of knowledge and any knowledge applied otherwise is only partial knowledge, which having failed in its purpose is nothing but ignorance. So remember, he says, desire is the force behind all things. We have, this, we have this unbelievable knowledge in the universe that is constantly moving all of life forward. And it speaks to all of life in a way that each piece of life understands how it is to respond to that desire. Uh, in, in animals, we call it instinct. In, in plant life, we call it genetic code. Whatever it might be, the fascinating thing, the fascinating truth that we can't get away from is that when you, if you just put human beings aside for a second and you observe every other form of life, it always moves toward the nth of what it's supposed to be. 
It never moves away from it. It's never confused by it. It's never confused by anything else. It's always moving into what it is supposed to be. There's no confusion there. With human beings, there's confusion because we enter into a different premise of life based on the idea of conscious choice. Because of conscious choice, we can, we can rationalize, we can think, we can logically put cause and effect together, and we can look at two different, very different things. We can look at our physical world as the absolute without taking into consideration whether there's a spiritual world or an energetic world or an intelligent world beyond the physical representation of what we see as the material thing in our life. So that's very important to understand that because if we don't understand it, then we don't know if we're thinking in one world and not the other or if we're considering the modus operandi of both worlds simultaneously. So what does that look like? It means that every physical thing has a cause beyond what we can see. It's not the, it's not the cause of itself, right? This table that I'm sitting at is not the cause of itself. It is the cause of a seed that was dropped into fertile soil in the exact right place, and it took root into a tree, and that tree grown into maturity, and then somebody harvested that tree, and through their knowledge had a vision of what this table would look like, and then made it, molded it into a table. Where did all of that knowledge come from? It wasn't in the table, and it wasn't in the person. It was in the universe. And as it received that knowledge, it did the only thing that it could do is it became whatever the inherent desire of that knowledge said that it was supposed to be. So that is through both genetic code and through the intention of the individual. It became a, it became a tree, and a person helped it then become a table. So everything that we see in the universe is operating by this same thing. It's all to move life forward. And I know that that can be very difficult for a lot of people because if we just look at the physical, we see both the idea of life and we see death. But that's only looking at the physical. If we, if we consider what is behind that, the whole energetic field of life, we understand that energy is constantly moving in a circulation. And its pass-through of physical life is just one of the portions of that journey. He says here that desire is thus the sum, the sum total of the livingness of life, for it is that in which all movement originates, whether on the physical level or the spiritual. In a word, desire is the creative power and must be carefully guarded, trained, and directed accordingly. But thus to seek and develop it into the highest perfection is the very opposite of trying to kill it outright. And desire has fulfillment for its correlative. Now think about this, because this is, this, is this is it right here. The desire and its fulfillment are bound together as cause and effect. They're one and the same. They're bound together as cause and effect. And when we realize the law of their sequence, we shall be more than ever impressed with the supreme importance of desire as the great center of life. The law of their sequence. Desire comes first. Fulfillment comes second. But only if we listen to the desire. If we're following, if we're listening to the desire, but then we shut that off and follow something different, we don't get the fulfillment of the desire. 
we get the fulfillment of something else. We could call that fear. We could call it the ego. We could call it pre-programmed thoughts from subsequent generations. We call it whatever we want, but it's not the fulfillment of the desire. So part of this is that the human being needs to listen to the desire because the desire and the fulfillment are one and the same. Now, what's the thing that makes me so excited about that is that you can't have a desire without the possibility of the fulfillment already existing and being ready to come into your life. When we become conscious of that desire, whatever the fulfillment of it is, is ready to begin its manifestation journey in your life. It's ready to begin to do that. Now, if we switch over here and I go to a different author, uh, U.S. Anderson, Three Magic Words, he did a little, a little writing here called Desire and Destiny. And he said this, it's a difficult thing to convince people that destiny and desire are the same thing. But there remains not the slightest doubt, but what this is is so. Confusion comes because people believe that desire is wishing or hoping or envying. A man will say, why, I've desired to be a writer all my life, and I've never had anything published, nor even come close to it. We might then ask, well, what have you written? And be assured his answer will be, well, I've started quite a few things, but I can't ever seem to finish them. He doesn't desire to be a writer. He actually desires not to be a writer. He is so convinced of failure that his escape mechanism prompts him never to finish anything so that he won't have to suffer the fear of having it be rejected. Now, you, we could just stop with this paragraph right here and make this thing complete. I want you to really think about this. What is Anderson saying here? He's saying, when you're looking at what is the desire of your heart, you have to look at your behavior. You absolutely have to look at your behavior and you have to look at your results. Your results and your behavior will tell you whether you're actually following desire or if something else is in control of your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. Now, you may not know what the other thing is, but what's important to know is that it's not desire. At this stage of, of this lesson, it's important to know that it's not desire because you're manifesting something else. We have to also be careful not to get into the confusion state that he talks here and think to ourselves that because we wish it, we want it, or we envy it in our life, that that has anything to do with desire because as he's pointing out here, it doesn't. He says, desire always springs from emotion and emotion is what impresses the conception on the universal subconscious mind. People are forever adopting attitudes that are in direct contradiction to their emotions simply because they want another face to present to the world. They go to great lengths to preserve this face and some of them even winding up in institutions for the insane. But they do absolutely nothing about changing their feelings. Beneath the level of consciousness, their desires are all aimed at negative things through fear, hate, and, or insecurity. Even though, I'm sorry, even through the face, they show the world seems pleasant and, 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 and aspiring. We know them to find them wherever we go. They are brave little martyrs, long-suffering. They are, are good people whom fate seems to delight in dealing blow after blow. They are not to be chastised or scorned. They would help themselves if they could. They simply do not know how. So 
what he's saying here is do not confuse true desire with the defense mechanisms of your conscious mind. He says, know yourself. Now think, how many times have you said you really want something? And when you look at your results, it's not there. Or it's there in some twisted form of what you said that you wanted. And you may say, well, I've done all these things to try to bring about this, this result in my life, this goal in my life, the manifestation of my dream, whatever it might be. And yet you end up without it. When we do that, one of the things that we then do is try to look for what is the reason why. Very often, if a person cannot identify the, the actual reason from a cause and effect perspective, they will go into some kind of a blaming attitude at this point. Why? Because a blaming attitude keeps a person safe. It helps them stay in control of the situation, even though it has nothing to do with whether they like it or not. It's, com- it's a completely different mechanism and motive that's moving around in their own consciousness. They actually go into this place where they're, where they're blaming. Blaming and then assigns, assigns, I'm sorry, a cause and effect perspective onto something else that's not true. So we create a false reality for ourselves. We say, here's what I'm experiencing. I don't know how I'm not creating this, so it must be something else's fault that's stopping me from doing this. We then blame, which then causes us to put cause and effect on something that it has absolutely nothing to do with. If we would pause there and say, this result that I have, is this my desire or not? And if we say it's not my desire, then we know that there's something operating that is false that's operating within us, that's causing us to create something that we truly don't want to experience from a desire perspective, but what it is fulfilling us is it's fulfilling us in a way that keeps us safe in some way. So whether we don't have to experience fear or rejection like Anderson talked about or some other thing that we're perceiving in our mind, it is keeping us in control and it is keeping us safe. Let's see what he goes on to say here. He says, lay bare the bones of your feelings, expose them, no matter the pain or suffering or humility involved, for only then your hurts and griefs and torments and fears can be cast away and you can find your true being and see the nature of your power that flows forever through the depths of your soul. And then he gives us a great quote by the great, the great psychiatrist, William James. He says, individuality is founded in feeling and the recesses of feeling the darker, blinder strata of character are the only places in the world in which we catch a real fact in the making and directly perceive how events happen and how work is actually done. Desire and destiny, mind and matter, the thought and the circumstance are all one in the same. What you truly desire to do beneath the level of consciousness, you will be. Nothing in the world can change the fat except changing your subconscious desire. And then he talks about, he talks, he he brings in here meditation and he says positive thinking. Those things are true, but I think they're too simplistic. It's not just positive thinking. You could think, try to think positive over pre-programmed behaviors and patterns and paradigms all day long and nothing will actually change. Um, the idea is that we have to also bring in the behaviors 
according to the desire. So our behaviors have to match the desire. And then we have to use things like positive thinking, medication, meditation to control the thought mechanism and to control the emotions. He says, by the very nature of your affinity with the universal mind, it's important to understand that mind it is Im- mind it is also impossible for you to have a true desire that does not manifest in your life now i want you to think it's impossible for you to not have a true desire that does not manifest in your life no man can know himself by examining the surface of his mind for this is his front the face that he shows the world, the mask he has donned to hide his hurts, his sufferings, his shames, and his fears, uh, and his chastisements. To truly know yourself, you must look first at your life objectively. The things that surround you, the circumstances that you're involved in, these have sprung from your subconscious desires. It will avail you nothing to protest at this, so do not do so. Facing the irrevocable fact requires humility and very often considerable emotional suffering, but face it you must if you're to change your subconscious desires and thus change the world about you, right? So that's it. So the, he's pointing out here that, the de, number one, the desire's there. It's always there for every person. You, it's, it's our spiritual DNA. It's God's gift to us. It's universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it. But it is there. Human beings are so magnificent. They can't be the only species in the world that has no direction outside of the original intelligence that, was, that created it. it it's, just, it's just not possible. That would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. Because it would, it would, lead, it would have a tendency to lead in, the, in its own destruction, period. There has to be something else there. So we have to be very honest with ourselves about what it is that is actually going on inside of us so that we can get to that desire because the manifestation of anything less is not the manifestation of who you are as a person. It is not your right to be the most magnificent human being that you can be. I hope you like this lesson. We'll see you on the next Successful Mind podcast. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.